Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. When I get to heaven, I'll be able to sing just like that. I'm claiming it right now. Thank you, brother. What an awesome song. And it does let us know that what we do for the Lord is not forgotten. And it does make a difference in eternity. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject, numbering our days. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And we're going to look at a number of scriptures in Psalm 90. And then we'll focus on verse 12, where the prayer is prayed, so teach us to number our days. And uh, every now and then, by the way, I love, as I know you do, I love those feel-good sermons, don't you? Those cotton candy, I call them cotton candy sermons. I like those, don't you? Man, they're encouraging, they're uplifting, they're exciting. But that's not the sermon you're going to hear today. But I believe that if you'll receive the message that God has laid on my heart, it will lead you to a place of rejoicing and, and celebration that will make a difference not only now but throughout all of eternity. You should have your Bibles open to Psalm 90. And the first thing I want to tell you about this psalm is David didn't write this psalm and Solomon didn't write this psalm. Moses wrote this psalm. Now that's kind of hard to uh, get your brain around if you've never really studied the scriptures. But Moses, it's the oldest psalm that we have in the Bible. And not only did Moses write it, but it is called a psalm of lament or lamentation, or weeping. And as you go through this psalm, you begin to figure out that, that Moses is very, very distraught. So we'll begin in verse 3. Moses said, You turn man to destruction, and you say, Return, O children of men. Moses was saying that Almighty God turns people to destruction. Now, I know in our age, in this time in which we live, and the kind of preaching we're used to, we don't like the idea that God could do anything that would be harsh or hard or judgmental or offensive. But Moses said, you turn man to destruction, and you say, return, O children of men. And by the way, when it says, return, O children of men, that's God saying, your time is up. That's what that means. Look down at verse 5. You carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep. They're asleep. Destruction is coming like a flood and you're asleep. 
you're unaware of what's going on. And, and then it goes on, in the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. Now in the desert where Moses and the children of Israel were, there were plants in the desert that would spring up in the morning, but by evening they would wither and die. And Moses is actually comparing our lives to that kind of grass that cannot even survive one day. Verse 7 says, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. This is pretty tough stuff, isn't it? And then in verse 8 it says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Moses was saying that we deal with you and we're consumed in your anger and we're terrified at your wrath and yet you know everything about us. We have no secret sins. We may have sins that are secret from the world around us, but they are not secret with God. And then in verse 9, it says, For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Uh, if you look that up, it, it means a, a sigh, a, a sobbing, a sadness. The days of our lives, verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. By the way, are you depressed yet? This is some hard-hitting Scripture, but it is so true. So what Moses is saying is it doesn't matter whether you live 70 or 80 years. He was talking about the people he was leading. He said at the end of it, it's just labor and sorrow. We've just worked and now we're broken. And then it says, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Now let me just stop there and we'll pick up again in just a moment. But you have to admit, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? I, I mean, this is a sad, sad picture that Moses is painting for us. Uh, this, this is sad. Now, now do you understand why the, the theologians and the commentaries would call this a lament? a weeping, a sadness. Because that's exactly what Moses was doing. He was lamenting. He was struggling with life. He was struggling with the difficulties of life. How short life is. How painful life is. And how full of sorrows life is. Is there anybody here today who is exempt from trouble and trials? And difficulty. No. No. And I don't have to stand before you this morning to tell you, because you already know by your own personal experiences, that life can get messy. Quickly. Life can get confusing. Life is difficult. 
life can just be plain out hard. And, and, and I, want, I want to tell you, life has a way of ending badly sometimes, even when we do our best. And that's the reason Moses says that it ends with a sigh, a sobbing, a sadness. I mean, Moses is bleeding, he's pouring out his heart here. Now, one of the questions that you should ask, and anytime you're reading and studying your Bible, you really do need to ask questions, because the Holy Spirit will help you comprehend the text better. Why in the world was Moses, one of the greatest men of God who ever lived, why was Moses lamenting? Why was he depressed? Have you ever taken time to think about Moses? His life? God called him. He was on up in age when God called him, and God said, go into Egypt. My children are in slavery and bondage there, and I want you to lead my children out of slavery. I want you to lead them out of bondage. You're going to lead them across the Red Sea. You're going to go into the wilderness, and then you're going to make a journey through the wilderness, and then you'll cross the Jordan River, and then you'll lead them into the promised land, and there I will establish a godly nation, and I'll pour out my blessings upon him. And it was supposed to last that journey about 18 months. So Moses leads him out, does what God tells him to do. He's a man of faith. He's following direction. This is going to be a long 18 months, but we're going to get there and God's going to pour out His glory and something magnificent and marvelous is about to happen. And then Moses gets them out into the wilderness and guess what they do? They rebel against God. They stopped following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They stopped listening to Moses. They sinned against God. And you know what God did? He hit the pause button. Okay? If you don't want to listen, if you don't want to learn, if you don't want to follow my leadership, if you don't want to do what I'm asking you to do, then I'll leave you out here in the desert until every last one of you dies away. With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, you know the story, because they were people of faith. Now hold on. Forty years, Moses sits out in the desert with a generation of the children of Israel, watching them die in misery and their sin and their difficulties and their sadness. He watches them die off. Perhaps thinking, if it were not for these people, I could be in the promised land right now enjoying the blessings of God. Wouldn't you be a little defeated? Wouldn't you? I'd be doing some lamenting myself, wouldn't you? He's out there watching them in their misery die away until God raised up a new generation. You know the story. But the point I want you to understand is this. When Moses wrote this psalm, it is an understatement to say he was frustrated with God. He was frustrated with the people of God. He was frustrated with what he was going through. Man, it, it, was, a, it was a difficult time. But Moses, a man of God, this is going to help somebody here today. A Mo Moses, a man of God, a man who was doing what God told him to do. He was doing what was right. He was fulfilling his calling, and yet the people would not cooperate, and he gets stuck in the desert with them for 40 years. 
those of us in America, and we're not alone, church. All across this nation, God has a people. Those of us in America who love God, who long to see His power and His glory poured out on this nation, should be able to relate to Moses. Because we're longing for the promised land. We're longing for a godly nation. We're longing for revival. We're longing to see what God can do. And yet we are stuck in a nation that's not interested at all in following the ways of God. And we're having to live through and experience the consequences of a people who don't want to follow God. Wouldn't you love, I'm just asking you, wouldn't you love to hear that our president has had a genuine salvation experience? Wouldn't you love to hear that? Wouldn't you love to hear him get on television and hold his Bible up and say, this is the answer to the nation of America. And Jesus is Lord of Lords and He's King of Kings. And you would, wouldn't you like for him to get on Twitter? I, I don't, and tweet. Is that what you do? Do you tweet on Twitter? I don't know what you do. I don't have it. But if that's right, wouldn't you like for him to get on Twitter and tweet scriptures every day that would bring a nation together under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all? And wouldn't your heart leap for joy? Wouldn't it leap for joy to hear that a revival was sweeping through our national capital? Washington, D.C. Revival is breaking out. And Democrats and Republicans are getting saved. Democrats and Republicans are getting together and praying together and working together. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, the fact is, that is not the reality of the hour in which we live. And it, is not the rea- it was not the reality that Moses was living through. And Moses was a great man of God. And just like Moses, we are stuck in a nation that's going in the wrong direction. And we're longing for the holy things of God. I, I tell you what, friends. It's not just in the Bible. There's some lamenting going on almost everywhere I go right now. America is in a mess. People say to me... <clears throat> Almost as if I were not aware. (laughs) Washington has gone crazy. I'm hearing that. I really am. Insanity has taken over our national leaders. I'm hearing these kind of statements. That's that's lamenting, isn't it? Come on, be honest. Have you ever said anything close to what I'm just talking about? Hold your hand up. Yeah, we're lamenting. We're broken. 
Our hearts are devastated because of what's going on. Our national leaders are like little children squabbling on the playgrounds, calling each other names while our nation is spiraling downward. God have mercy upon us. God have mercy upon us. Moses would say, there's a flood coming. And we're asleep. Isn't it time that we do what Moses did? Isn't it time that we stop lamenting so much? By the way, it's acceptable. I think God wants us to lament over some things. Don't you? But isn't it time that we, that we move from lamenting to praying? And if you read Psalm 90, and I won't have time to cover it all today, but in the first 11 verses of the psalm, he is lamenting and weeping over the sad condition of the nation. And when he gets to verse 12, this is what he prays. He starts praying, and the rest of the psalm is a prayer. We'll just look at the first one. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we can get a heart of wisdom. I've meditated on that for actually for a number of years. And I'm still not sure I, I, I understand completely what it means to number our days. And so I, I, decided, I decided I'd actually try it. I decided I would try to number my days. And... Uh, So here it is. From the day I was born until this very day, I have lived 24,724 days. That's how many days I've been on the earth. Now, if I live out a normal lifespan according to Moses now, you remember he said the days of our lives are 70 years. Right? That's kind of average, 70 years. Then I have 826 days left. That's sobering, isn't it? By the way, if by reason of strength that comes from heaven above, Moses says you live to be 80 years old, then I have 4,476 days left. I'm a little more encouraged. (laughs) But then there's no guarantee there, is there? My father and two of my brothers never made it to 70 years old. So let me ask you this morning. How many people in this congregation are 70 years old or older? Would you please stand up? If you're 70 or older, stand up. Wait. Don't sit down. Don't don't sit down. Stay up. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. I know you're old, but you can do it for a few minutes. First of all, I want to say you are our heroes. We love you. And we need you. And you've been told all of your life something that's not true. You hear it repeatedly that the future of our church is in our young people. That is not true. 
The future of our church is standing before us right now. Men and women that God has gifted and strengthened them to see not just an average age, but beyond an average age. And God blessed you to be alive today because He's not done with you, because He wants to use you, and because River of Life needs you. We need every one of you to help us plot a course that will change this church for generations to come. Your work is not done. God bless you. You may be seated. If, if you study this psalm, as I have done, one of the things that you begin to pick up on is the fact that Moses is distraught because of the eternality of God and because of the, of the frailty of man and, and how he dies so quickly. Here one moment, gone the next. And what Moses is saying to us is this. No matter how long you live, you don't live long. And no matter how many days you have, you don't have many days. And by the way, the youngest person in this church today, you don't have many days left. See, Moses is saying that life is short, life is brief, and even if you do live to 70 or 80, if you don't get it right, then in the end there's just sorrow. And there's brokenness. And so... uh, It drove Moses to pray this prayer. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, what I realized after studying this and meditating on it is this is not about counting your days. It's about making your days count. If we're only here for a little while on this planet, and if the Bible is true... And if there's a real place called heaven and a real place called hell, and if eternity is a reality, then we need to number our days and we need to make sure that our days count, don't we? This is is serious business. Here's a quote that I like, and it sounds like you must have dealt with something close to this in your class, Brother Derek. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Do you understand that what you're doing, the way you talk, the way you live, the way you're investing your life right now will echo throughout eternity? So thinking about this subject, I decided to look up some so-called bucket list. You know, that's a big thing today. Everybody's doing their bucket list. And, and so I went on the internet and I looked for the most popular items that people put on their bucket list. And the idea is, I guess with a bucket list, is you're coming to terms with your mortality and you're kind of seeing that your days, the number of your days, are coming to an end. And so you put together a bucket list of things that you want to do before you die. Right? By the way, is there anybody here who has a bucket list? Wave at me. Good. I'm actually glad you don't have one. So these are some of the top things that go on bucket list. 
go jet skiing, go kite surfing, or kite boarding, I don't even know what that is, go on a, a mountain biking trip, go sand surfing, I don't know what that is, go tandem skydiving, go water skiing, go whitewater rafting, hang out with elephants, <laughs> ride in a hot air balloon, and run the New York Marathon. Now my first observation when I read that was, whoever wrote that list is a lot younger than I am. <laughs> the only two, the only two that I think I might be up to would be hanging out with elephants and riding on a hot air balloon. And I'm not crazy about either one of those. And, and so, so I decided to go in another route. I asked six people in this church this question. If you had only 30 days to live, what would you do? Just, just make a list of, of what you would do. Give me four, five, or six things that you would do. And so they sent me their list, and what I found out, it was amazing, is that all the lists were so similar. L- listen to this. At the top of every list was something like this. Now, I just blended them all together. Make sure my heart is right with the Lord. Make sure I'm saved. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Make sure there's no unconfessed sin in my life. Make sure I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit and He's leading me. That, that was kind of a compilation of those six. That's a good place to start, isn't it? And then the second one went like this. There was the idea of making amends, making sure to ask for forgiveness and to try to restore broken relationships. Oh, that's so biblical. If you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember your brother has all against you, you go reconcile your brother. You go make it right. Don't you think for a moment you're going to step out into eternity with broken relationships that you have not tried to mend and it's going to go well with you? In fact, the Bible puts it pretty clear. If we do not forgive those who have trespassed against us, neither will our Heavenly Father forgive our trespasses. This is, this is the Bible, folks. It said, yeah, but they were wrong. It has nothing to do with who's right and wrong has to do with your heart obeying God. That's what it's about. And then number three on the list, there was the idea of family and sharing the importance of living far and getting ready for eternity. These lists talked about getting the family together and talking to them about Jesus and talking to them about eternity and not just making sure that I'm right, but making sure my family is right. And then, and then this was in there, getting your affairs in order, getting your financial affairs in order. You don't know when you're going to step out into eternity. Do your family a favor, get your affairs in, in order. The one I like best, and this was only on one list, but the one I like best said, if I only had 30 days to live, I'd eat whatever I wanted to eat. <laughs> I 
I'm there. I like that. Not one person said they wanted to run a marathon. Why? Because when we look at our lives against the backdrop of eternity and we realize that we don't have that much time, we begin to focus on the things that really matter, the things that are really important. And can I just be honest with you today? I'm not trying to be somber or sad. But you don't have much time. There's not one person in this house that has much time. And I'll also tell you this, you don't even have the guarantee of another day. You don't have the guarantee of another day. You don't have much time. I, I, was, I read one bucket list, and this lady said before she died, she wanted to see the northern lights. And I, I have to tell you, after looking at the lists that were sent to me, I, I kind of smiled. By the way, I'd like to see the northern lights. I think that would be a great trip. But I can tell you, when I ask six people, if you only had 30 days to live, what do you want to do? Where would you want to go? Nobody talked about the northern lights. Every list focused on the lights of glory and being ready to go into the presence of our Heavenly Father. That's what those lists were uh, about. So, we should number our days. We should count our days. I uh, was in a restaurant in Wakala County eating one day by myself, and that's something I never do. I'll, I'll go by a fast food window, but if I'm right by myself, I don't go into a restaurant and sit down. But that day I went in and I sat down right by myself. And I was sitting there and I looked over and an old classmate of mine, we went to high school together, walked through the door. And I saw him, and he was by himself. And so I waved at him, and then I waved for him to come over. And I said, are you by yourself? And he said, yes, I am. I said, well, would you come and sit with me so we can catch up on old times? And so he did, and we ate together, and we, we laughed, and we fellowshiped, and we laughed about some of the stupid things we did when we were kids. And then he said, I got some good news for you. He said, I invited Jesus to come into my heart. He said, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. He said, I repented of my sins and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I know God touched me and I know He changed my life and I'm so excited about that. But he said, but i got a problem. And I said, what's your problem? And he said, I have a brother living right here in this county. And this is what he said. He said, my brother and I have not spoken to each other in many years. And I said, what was the problem? And he told me what the problem was. And by the way, most of the time, these problems that seem big to us seem foolish to others. And I said, you'd let that stand between you and your brother? He said, well, he won't speak to me and I won't speak to him. And we haven't spoken in many years. And I said, brother, you've got to change that. You've given your heart to Jesus. You have to abide by His rules and His regulations. You have to go get this thing right. And I talked to him. I shared Scripture with him. And then I made him promise. He told me out of his mouth. I said, you promise me that you will go to your brother and that you will make this thing right. I said, don't worry about who's right or wrong. Jesus forgave you and you didn't deserve that forgiveness. Jesus turned your life around and took you in when you were guilty. 
I said, that's the kind of love we're to have for everybody else. Who cares? Make it right with your brother. He promised me he would. Four days later, my phone rang. He had had a massive heart attack and died on the spot. The first thing that came to my mind, I wonder if he talked to his brother. I, I, I felt good about the fact that he was saved and going to heaven, but have you talked to your brother? They called me to do the funeral, and I stood at the graveside. And I asked his brother, I said, did he talk to you? And he said, no, we haven't spoken in years. And I told him, I said, I, I want to tell you, I spent time with your brother. He loved you. And he was broken over the broken relationship, and he wanted to make it right. He wanted to make it right, but he thought he had more time. He did not number his days. Do you hear me, church? What is it that you need to do? What relationship do you need to mend? What sin do you need to take seriously and repent and get it out of your life? What do you need to do? What is the Holy Spirit nudging you to do? It's time to do it. Don't count on time that you don't know that you have. Hey, listen, uh, Brother Fletcher, wave at everybody back here. This is Brother Fletcher Harrell. We celebrated his 80th birthday yesterday. Yeah, amen. I was so blessed. I sat there and laughed at he and his brother. They argued just like me and my brother did when we were 12. And, uh, and it was so fun to watch you two going back and forth. But Brother Fletcher and his brother both said the same thing. And man, it touched my heart. They said they grew up in a Christian home with a Christian mother and a Christian father. And then I heard them say in their entire lives, they never heard their father say one curse word. Can you imagine? By the way, no wonder he's in church right now. You didn't have a choice. You were raised to follow Jesus. Can you imagine growing up in a home and never hearing a curse word out of the mouths of your parents? I'm telling you, that is a father who numbered his days and gave his heart to wisdom. And you've got a lot to be thankful for. And and so you may be thinking right now, Pastor, it's too late for me. I've messed up. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've mistreated people. Listen, the fact that you're in this service today means it's not too late. You can start today numbering your days, applying your heart to wisdom, asking God to speak to you and to do a work in your life. Do you remember the country song by one of our local artists, Billy Dean? goes like this. Gonna hold who needs holding. Mend what needs mending. Walk what needs walking, though it, only, though it means an extra mile. Pray what needs praying. Say what needs saying, because we're only here for a little while. Friends, that may be a country song, but that's some of the best advice you'll ever receive. And if you number your days, if you count your days, and you want your days to count, that's something you should definitely do. Well, I want to read a story to you, and I don't like to read things, but this is too detailed, so I have to read the story to you, and I hope this will bless your heart. 
On August the 6th, 1930, a young man stumbled into a church in Sydney, Australia. And after hearing the message, he walked out and into a nearby park. And there beneath a tree, he gave his heart to Jesus. He was gloriously saved. His name, Arthur Stace. Now this was an amazing conversion because he was raised in poverty, abandoned by his parents. He was stealing food to survive as a child. He had no formal education, couldn't read or write. He started drinking at an early age and was put in jail by the time he was 15 years old. When he got out of jail, he worked as a lookout man for an illegal gambling operation. After that, he worked with his sisters. They were running a brothel, and he was their scout. Now, so help me, I don't know what that means unless it just means he was drumming up business for them. He was poor, he was uneducated, he was an alcoholic with nothing to live for until that day when he met Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Not long after his conversion, he heard a preacher by the name of John Ridley say these words. We'll put them on the screen. Eternity! Eternity! I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it! Where will you spend eternity? Now this is what Arthur Stace said after hearing those words. Eternity went ringing through my brain and suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. That night he reached into his pocket. He was still in the church and there was a piece of yellow chalk in his pocket. He walked out of the church and when no one was looking, he stooped down and wrote the word eternity on the sidewalk. He could hardly write his own name, and he said he didn't even know how to spell eternity, but he felt like he had to do it. To his surprise, the word eternity came out smoothly in beautiful copper plate script. I I couldn't understand it, and I still can't, he said. That experience changed his life. Author Stace would get up from that day forward at four in the morning and pray for one hour and then leave his house and go out wherever the Lord led him and write the word eternity on the sidewalks, railways, and buildings of Sydney, Australia and the surrounding towns. For 20 years, no one knew who was doing it. The man who writes eternity, the headlines in the paper would say, has become a legend, but nobody knows who he is. He's a mystery man. Now, even though they didn't know who he was, they called him Mr. Eternity. The preacher said, I wish I could shout eternity all over the city. Arthur Stace was actually doing it. He wanted the city to be confronted with the reality of eternity. Listen to this. He wrote the word eternity over 500,000 times in the city. Almost every day, someone would report, Mr. Eternity has struck again. One day, a pastor saw him writing the word eternity on the sidewalk and asked him, Are you Mr. Eternity? He looked up and smiled and said, Guilty, Your Honor. 
But even, even after his identity was discovered, he just kept doing it. For 35 years, he prayed in the morning and then wrote eternity on the streets of Sydney and did it all before breakfast, breakfast and going to work. He died in 1967 at the age of 83. But he left his mark on the city. <clears throat> as a tribute to the man known as Mr. Eternity, the Sydney Harbor Bridge was lit up with the word Eternity as part of the New Year's Eve celebration 1999. Pull it up on the screen. They did that in honor of the man who wrote it 500,000 times in the city. And by the way, that is exactly the way he wrote it. No one could understand how he could write so smoothly and so beautifully, being so uneducated. It's estimated that, and you can just leave that up for a while, it's estimated that billions of people saw the word eternity because they displayed it at the Olympic Games that were held in Sydney. If you visit Sydney today and go to Town Hall Square, you'll find an aluminum replica of his eternity embedded in the sidewalk. Think about this. He died over 50 years ago, and yet here I am telling his story. Eternity. Eternity. You have to meet it. Where will you spend Eternity. I want to read a verse to you out of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. This is what the Bible says. He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts. Have you ever seen this before? I stumbled on, onto this not long ago, and I've been reading my Bible for years. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Did you know every one of us, you have eternity in your heart? When God made you, He put something in your heart that's called eternity. Your life will not come to an end when you die. The body will, but the real you will live for eternity. God made you an eternal being. He put eternity in your heart. It's there. You can try to ignore it. You can try to cover it up. But it is there. <clears throat> I was meditating on this verse this past week. And I had a worker at my house doing some work for me. And I, was, I had witnessed him before but never got anywhere. And I, I, I decided, God, if God's put eternity in every person's heart, I'm going to try it out. So I walked up to him. We were standing on my carport. I walked up to him and I said, I need to ask you a question. He said, okay, what is it? I said, I want you to be honest with me. He said, I'll be honest with you. Just well, what you need. I said, have you been thinking about eternity? And he said to me, as a matter of fact, I have. He said, my wife and I have been talking about it. I said, do you know why you've been talking about it? Do you know why you've been thinking about it? He said, well, I'm not sure. Why? I said, because God put eternity in your heart. The God who made you put it in your heart. And you can't escape it. It's there. And I said, would you like for me to share with you how you can know for sure that you'll spend eternity in heaven 
with God? And he said, yes, I do, I would. I shared with him how the blood of Jesus washes away our sins, how it's believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessing with your mouth. I shared it with him. We held hands in my carport, and he prayed to receive Jesus into his heart. Do you know... Do you know why I believe God put it on the heart of Arthur Stace to write eternity all over that city? Because He puts eternity in every heart. And when people saw that Word, it stirred them. It moved them. Their testimonies, you can go on the internet, there are many testimonies about people who saw that Word and it stirred them and they came to Christ. Do you know why God put that on His heart? Because He wanted that city to be confronted with eternity. And I believe God put this message on my heart today because He wants you to be confronted with eternity. If you've never been truly born again that changed your life and made you a new creature in Christ, then eternity is hanging in the balance. It's time to number your days. It's time for you to make every day count. And even if you are a child of God and you know that you know that you know that you've been saved, but there are things that are not in order in your life, it's time for you in the backdrop of eternity to start making decisions that will matter from this day forward and echo throughout eternity. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.